You are listening to the Soar Above Cancer podcast, episode 141, The Magic of Storytelling, our chat with Michelle, part two, with your hosts, Gabrielle and Alex. Hello, fellow cancer thrivers. Welcome to this week's episode of the Soar Above Cancer podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding the strength to not only survive a cancer diagnosis, but thrive at living one's life with cancer. Today, we continue our chat with Michelle as we discuss her plans on keeping busy with the quarantine, how her cancer diagnosis and experience affected her lives in her relationship with her children and family, and the entity, So You've Got Acute Blood Cancer. Let's take a listen. What I really enjoy and want to discuss further with you a little bit about is that idea of this concept you've brought together so you've got blood cancer which is what you've put together for you've blogged have survivor stories discuss experience and support and so what was just the mindset of sort of putting together this concept of letting others discuss their story and sharing your story what was the mindset behind that yeah so um so very early on um after being admitted I was told on a number of occasions, don't Google anything. Don't Google anything. We've got information for you. <laughs> you know, we'll give you what you need. Um, and, you know, I did the absolute opposite of that and totally Googled. And um, what, I, what I very soon came to realize through the Googling is that the experiences that were... Um, posted in the resources that I found online all started very much the same way. And they all said, you know, sorry to hear you, you've been diagnosed with cancer. That sucks. Make sure you under, make sure you go get a second opinion, understand your treatment options and make the decision that's best for you. That's mm-hmm. essentially how they all, all of those resources started. Um, and that was, unequivocally not an option for me. My options were pack a bag, which they were reluctant even to let me do and go to the hospital and start your treatment right now, or you're going to die tomorrow. (laughs) So, so, so many of the resources that I found online in the very early days, I just didn't feel like they connected with me. You know, um, there are so many resources out there for, for so many different types of cancer. Um, and there were just really no resources out there related specifically to acute blood cancers. And, you know, um, in many scenarios, the experience of somebody dealing even with a chronic blood cancer compared to an acute blood cancer is also very different. I mean, on the chronic side, you know, um, people who experience those diagnoses can go into, you know, a lifelong treatment um, similar to the maintenance uh, treatment that we experience on the acute yeah. side. They, they could be on it. Uh, lifelong and still live a full life, they could be diagnosed with cancer and their teams could decide that it's uh, more harmful than beneficial to even go into any type of treatment at that point. And then they just kind of go into a, to a a hold and wait pattern, right? Mm -hmm. So the experiences are so completely different. And I really wanted to have um, uh, a space where people who were experiencing specifically acute blood cancers could go and understand that first of all, they're not alone. Right. Uh, I felt so alone 
through my experience and um and I felt like it was really important to have some kind of community um, for people. Not only that, but my experience leading up to my diagnosis was really unfortunate. Um, I had called my own family doctor on a couple of separate occasions after the bruising started. I was completely brushed off, uh, you know, and then going into the hospital and having to fight with a triage nurse to even see a doctor was just blew my mind, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and these weren't the only negative experiences that I had with healthcare professionals throughout the experience. Um, and I had to think to myself, you know, I am, I've always been a pretty assertive person. So I, I, I can speak up for myself. I can advocate for myself. Um, but there were very brief moments throughout my treatment where I had so little energy that I even wasn't able to do that, which is like just no, I can't like, I've been through it and I can't even imagine not having enough energy to stand up for myself. So how many other people out there don't stand up for themselves? Yeah. How many other people would call their doctors and say, I've got these weird bruises. I don't know where they're from. And, the, and those doctors would blow them off and they would go, mm, must not be that important. Yeah. And then they do wait an extra day, right? And, um, and so that prompted me to start doing some research. And one of the, one of the um, pieces of information that I found throughout my um, research was that there's an organization, they're called Canadian Patient Safety Institute. And they reported that um, just about 30,000 people in Canada die every year as uh, a result of medical errors. So this is actually like the uh, third leading cause of death in Canada for medical reasons outside of cancer and heart disease. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big number. So yeah. every one minute and 18 seconds, somebody dies as a, as a, or, or sorry, is injured as a result of, um, unintended harm yeah. and uh that just blew my mind right and that and that really prompted me to say hey okay like i need to take action on this now so i felt like it was really important for people to have a very clear understanding of what a true patient experience is like what the challenges are the information that you need to know what the relationships are like with different professionals, what your rights are. I mean, not even as a patient, but just as a human being, yeah. right? Yeah. And I feel like sharing these experiences and, and um, encouraging people to be the front seat driver in their own care um, could save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that is that is the point of uh so you've got cancer.ca yeah, yeah that's amazing thanks for sharing that with us yeah so alex and i don't have kids so we're always asking the questions to people who do have kids and who has gone through that process with cancer that experience with cancer of what is it like to go through this experience with kids 
Um, so this is by and large, uh, the hardest topic, yeah. uh, has been is still is for me. Um, so maybe I'll start by just kind of explaining our family situation, which, def which definitely plays a role in terms of how this all played out. So we are, um, a blended family and we have two daughters and they are three weeks apart in age. So, um, they were about five and a half at the time I was diagnosed. Um, my stepdaughter, because she's a little bit removed from the situation, um, we kept, we kept her fairly sheltered from this. So I don't feel like it had a big impact on her, but for my biological daughter, um, she has been, you know, with me the vast majority of her life. So imagine, you know, waking up in the morning, getting ready for school, dropping your kid off at school and going to the hospital and then not being able to pick her up that day, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, having the role of mom ripped away from me was devastating. Yeah. It was devastating. Um, so much so that, you know, when, I mean, we would FaceTime often while I was in um, the hospital and I couldn't even hold myself together for those calls. The thought, the thought of my children um, would bring me to tears. Mm -hmm. So um, this was really hard. I will say that uh, I was very well supported by the people around me with my kids. I mean, um, my daughter, uh, my daughter's dad, she stayed with him for a month uh, while I was in the hospital. And um, he is the one who had that initial conversation with her about me being sick. Yeah. The beauty was is that she and he were just about to go on vacation and she had just gotten um, the uh, twin ricks shot the you know the vaccination yeah and and she is deathly afraid of needles so we had had a conversation with her about you know what happens if you don't get one of those needles right like we we had mentioned that if you don't get those needles you can get bad, you can get bad bugs Mm -hmm. in your body and the bad bugs will make you really sick and this shot will keep the bad bugs out so um it was kind of a blessing in disguise to have had that conversation earlier on because then we could say to her okay you know mommy's got bad bugs and the doctors are helping get those bad bugs out but yeah. mommy's gonna have to be in the hospital for a little while we can go visit you know everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so he did a really good job of managing that initial conversation. And when they did come and visit me um, in the hospital, we had kind of braced ourselves for a little bit of fear. And um, what actually happened was she was curious. She was yeah, very they're very curious. curious. For sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, nobody made a big deal of it. It was like, yeah. And again, I'm still hooked up. I, ha I had not had my um, perfectly inserted um, catheter in my arm yet. I hadn't had my pick inserted at that point. So I still had three IVs 
running at that time. So I was a wiry mess and it was like, what's in this one and what's in this one. And, and so um, there was lots of curio curiosity and they did a really good job of managing that up front. As time went on, it kind of changed a little bit because, you know, um, I came home and a couple of days after being home, I had lost most of my hair and it was time to just kind of buzz it. And, um, you know, they were like, let me see, let me see, let me see. And I was like, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and they insisted. So, uh, so I took off my head wrap and, uh, it was the reaction was utter fear, just utter fear. And it was the most heartbreaking moment of my entire treatment. And I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing you can do in that moment, but really just give them a hug and do your best to try to help them feel safe. Right. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was really hard. Um, as time went forward, my daughter started, I think, feeling some frustration and some anger and stuff like that because I had just totally changed. I had gone from being the mom who, you know, was running after them on the park and playing tag and we were, you know, kicking a soccer ball around all the time and we were, you know, doing, we used to go hiking all the time in the summer and so we, we used to be a very active family. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they had a hard time accepting that I simply couldn't do that. They didn't understand it. To, to them, it was just like, mommy's not a fun mom anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was really hard for everybody to deal with. Um, we, that meant a couple of things. It meant that we needed to spend, um, we needed to be more consciously aware of communicating with the mm -hmm. kids. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, hey, how are you doing today? It was more of a, you know, um, tell me how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Not how are you, not how are you. Because everybody says fine, good. You know, that's like, that's such a, such a, you know, one of those social questions that everybody asks each other and everybody has a standard response, mm -hmm. for, right? So that's not the question to ask kids. The question to ask kids is, how are you feeling? And I found that when we started asking that question, we would get these um, bursts, bursts of emotion out of them. And it would be like a five minute blubbering mess of a cry. And then they, they were good. They got it off yeah. their chest. They felt better. They felt comfortable. They were heard. And then they moved on and, and that frustration kind of dissipated for them. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the time that we spent together, we really just had to learn how to um, come up with new family activities that were enjoyable for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, rather than throwing on our hiking boots and going and climbing up a mountain, uh, we would, um, we started doing drawing, like we would YouTube, you know, drawing tutorials and the whole family would just sit at the table and draw, or we would do other kinds of crafts, or we would have, you know, more movie night or whatever. And the beautiful thing about that was that it gave us something new. It gave us a new, um, 
it gave us a new something awesome to spend time doing together. Um, and the other good thing about it too, was that when they felt they needed to burn off that energy, um, it gave our girls who were still, um, because we are blended, uh, and you know, it was fairly early on in our relationship that I got sick. Um, it gave our girls the opportunity to bond also. Yeah, that's so good. I was no longer the entertainer of the children. They learned how to entertain each other. Yeah. And that had such a monumental impact on their bond. They're literally attached at the hip now. They are the closest two girls you could possibly ever find. So um, although it was very, very hard emotionally for everyone to deal with, the outcome of that has been we have found new ways to spend time together and enjoy each other's company. Now, on top of the things that I am capable of doing that I was capable of doing before, um, but also it has really strengthened the bond of all of the family members together. Mm -hmm. I love that. And thank you for sharing all of that. It's obviously difficult. And like that's why we like to get that perspective because we are seeing it from mainly the kids' side and it's nice to hear that perspective, even though it was hard at times and, and hearing how your daughters in this case really triumphed, which is great to hear as well. And in terms of if you were to meet someone newly diagnosed with cancer, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to that individual? Uh, you know, that I can't answer that with one answer. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot. I've blogged about this a lot too. And um, there, there's not one, there's not one answer. Um, I think that it is wildly important that people speak up for themselves. Um, what I observed uh, in my time in the hospital was um, a lot of people who had no idea what medications they were taking. And I understand, especially from you know, um, an adolescent and children perspective, that's mm -hmm. not reasonable for adolescents and children to know all of the medications they're taking and what they do and how much they're supposed to be taking and when, and not, that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the parents who are taking care of those children and for the adults who are going through this experience, I think that it is wildly important for them to understand what they're taking. The bottom line is that healthcare professionals um, are there to help you, but they are human and they make mistakes. And you are ultimately responsible for your own well being. So it is wildly important to understand what medications you're taking. There were two separate occasions in the five months of intensive treatment that I went through where wrong medications were given to me. And because I knew very clearly what medications I was taking. I knew that I shouldn't be taking those medications. I was able to question the nurses. I was able to get the medications that I needed. No harm done. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, oddly important. Absolutely. I think, I think one of the other things that is really important is that um, there is so much information thrown at you really early on um, from diagnosis and to expect yourself to remember everything is also unreasonable. Very 
likely um, newly diagnosed people are going to be in a state of shock. I know I was. Um, and either having somebody with you or having some means of recording the information that is being given to you is also incredibly important. Um, not only for um, the immediate time period, but also for the future time period. There are so many people who had said to me, you know, like as an example, um, make sure you stow extra money away for your taxes. You're going to get nailed on your taxes. And um, I, I did not remember that conversation until I got nailed on my taxes. And then I was like, oh, why? <laughs> so I, it is so super important of having to have a way to record the information that's being provided to you so that you have um, something to look back on to deal with all of the different stages that occur throughout um, treatment and recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the last thing that I would say that's also wildly important is to recognize that people are going to do and say things that are going to make you mad. Yeah. And the bottom line is, this is the, the punchline, is that it is not necessarily their fault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one is trained to deal with somebody who has cancer. This is not something that we learn in school. It is not something that people take the initiative to learn about prior to, which is super unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And everybody who is dealing with somebody who has cancer is doing the best they can. So I think it's really important to acknowledge and that doesn't mean accepting bad treatment by the way that doesn't mean that at all if somebody is um if somebody is doing or saying something that is offensive to you you have the right to say this is not helpful to me right now i'm going to remove myself from this situation or this is what i need from you mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong with doing that so whether that be um, rather than waiting for somebody to ask you what you need or doing or saying the wrong thing, giving them instructions for, for what it is that you need, I think is super important and is also um, completely individual. This is a completely individual thing. No two people are going to handle it the same. No two people are going to be affected by things that are said and done the same. So it's mm -hmm. very important to communicate what you need from other people right out of the gate. The other thing too is that if people in your life are not going to be supportive and are not going to um, provide or support in the way that you need support, there is nothing wrong with stepping back from those relationships. Mm -hmm. Energy is super important when you're going through cancer treatment. You're being pummeled by, by nasty, nasty medications. And you need all of the energy you can get. You do not need to spend your energy on people who are creating negativity. Yeah. It is a major energy killer. So if you need to make that decision for yourself to step back from those relationships so that you can allocate your energy where it needs to be, that is A-OK. -okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
Oh my gosh. So, so much wisdom tonight or today in that, this chat. I truly enjoyed listening to what you had to share, Michelle. I am really hoping that you do get that opportunity to share that story more and more as time goes on, whether that's public speaking or writing a book, whatever. It's just incredible. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. This ends episode 141, The Magic of Storytelling, A Chat with Michelle, Part 2. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. You continue to help us grow, provide us excellent set of ears to allow us to share all of our experiences, advice, and our wonderful guests week in and week out. Now, before you go, just a quick reminder, if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, or you simply want to share your story, please reach out to us. Our details are all linked in the show notes. Many smiles to you and see you next week.